Welcome back to CPP Chat. Now, we've been a bit quiet for a while, as John and I have been extra busy moving both of our conferences online. However, we did still have three episodes in the edit queue all that time. So this episode, as well as the next two, were actually recorded last May and June. Now, as a result, some parts, notably the conference news section, are quite dated now, but I've left them in for historical purposes, so do bear that in mind. And now I'll hand over to, well, me, for the real introduction. Welcome to CPP Chat, an algorithmic look at what's going on in the world of C++, chatting with guests from the community. Now, before we rotate in this week's guest, John has a disclaimer to read. Thank you, Phil. The authors of this site are not engaged in rendering professional advice or services to the individual reader. The ideas, procedures, and suggestions contained within this work are not intended as a substitute for consulting with your physician. While matters regarding your health require medical supervision, the authors shall not be liable or responsible for any loss or damage allegedly arising from any information or suggestion from this website. You, as a reader of this website, are totally and completely responsible for your own health and health care. All right. Uh, so, Connor uh, Hoekstra is our guest. And uh, for those of you who aren't familiar with Connor, he has been doing uh, talks on algorithms that have uh, gotten a lot of attention. Um, I know at CBBCon and C++ Now, but I think also you did where? Did you do? Uh... Uh, yeah, my my first two conferences were C++ Now and CBBCon in 2019. But then I also presented at, right. uh, I believe it was the ACCU Belfast conference that was right after the Belfast ISO meeting. And then at uh, meeting C++ and Code Dive as well in 2019. Right. So you've become quite the conference star, right? Uh, I would not say that, no. <laughs> <laughs> but... <laughs> uh, I do enjoy speaking at conferences, and it's it's nice to interact with the community. It is. It's a lot of fun, isn't it? Um, that segues nicely into one piece of news that I wanted to bring up, which is that um, the call for submissions for CPPCon, which is out and is good until um, until June fifth, we uh, we are inviting people to. Uh, make a comment in their submission. There's a comment field in the submission saying this is a virtual only submission. There is the possibility that CPCon will be canceled. And if it is, uh, we will want to, I guess we shouldn't say cancel it. Instead, what we would say is we would be making it virtual. Uh, it's a completely different format, of course, but, we, uh, but we'll be looking to the people who've made submissions because they're probably, when that decision's made, there probably won't be time to make a whole call for submission. So if you're interested in doing a virtual talk at CPPCon, this is this is your opportunity. It may not ever happen again any other year. So if, if you'd love to give a conference talk and never actually make it to a conference because you can't travel for whatever reason, make your submission at CPPCon. And in the comments say, uh, this is a, a submission for virtual or remote talk only. I think that's a smart move to, to be thinking ahead like that. I know from C++ on C, obviously we started off as a normal conference. When we decided we were going to move online, I then had to coordinate with all of the speakers we'd already accepted to say, you know, who, who wants to continue in the online format and you know, how much are you committed to that and, and so on. So we can we could build a, a virtual program. So that, that's taken a bit of time and, and organizing, right. which will happen almost automatically if you're already allowing for that in your call for speakers. Right. Well, we didn't quite have it that way. So if you don't say anything, we're going to assume that you're submitting only for uh, the live version. And uh, if and when we do go with the virtual version, we'll have to contact people. But we will already have evaluated their submissions. And so we'll just contact them and say, if you're willing to do a virtual version, then um, uh, then we have your submission already. So I think it will make things smoother. It's not as smooth as if we'd intended it from the beginning. We could have done it a little differently, but I, but this is the situation we're at. Um, so that's what we're doing. Uh, the other announcement, which is not really an announcement, it's kind of a pre-announcement, but I think we're going to open registration next week. It's going to be a different conference, and I haven't um, completed the announcement, but it's going to be very much scaled back. Um, part of that would have to be because I'm sure we'll get fewer attendees this year than, you know, even if everything is even there, everything goes 
the most optimistically we can possibly imagine from this moment until September, we still wouldn't get as many people as we would originally anticipated. Um, but there's other issues too, like spacing concerns and things like that. So it's going to be a, a, a scaled down conference. And we may in fact be in a situation where we could sell out. In other words, you, we've never been in that situation before because we've always planned for a huge group and we've always gotten a huge group and everything. Great. This year, we're going to plan for a much smaller group and it is actually possible that we'll sell out. So um, we'll, we'll cover that in the announcement. But anyway, that's, that's, the, that's the big announcement for CPPCon, which is not yet an announcement. It's just a tease of an announcement. <laughs> um, so anyway. Uh, is there anything else we want to talk about? We, oh, uh, I guess in the show notes, we wanted to say there is a, I think we've mentioned this before, uh, there is a a Reddit posting that's pinned. Um, normally in the CPP channel and Reddit, there's only one pinned announcement, and that is a, a jobs posting. But this year, there is an addition to that, or I should say currently, there is an addition to that, a a pinned announcement tracking events events that are uh, canceled, moved, moved online, or whatever the status is. You know, if if you have been for whatever reason, if you normally don't travel or something like that, and you've never been to a user group meeting or you've never been to a conference, now is your time because you can go to user group meetings all over the world now, uh, just as easy as clicking a mouse, right? So um, there's some silver linings to the. Um, in addition to silver hair growing into your eyes, there's also silver lining. <laughs> so as well as that Reddit post, there's also um, uh, Harold on uh, the, the Sweden CPP group. Forget the name of the, forget the right. URL, I'll put it in the show notes. But he's tracking all of the okay. uh, the meetups for C++ groups around the world that he knows of. So you can just go to right. a single page and see everything that's upcoming. So that's a really great resource as well. Right. Yeah, and he's updating that. Um, you know, Jens has a, um, has his normal monthly update of meetups as well. So, um, but I think, uh, I think Harold is kind of monitoring this really closely. So that's, uh, better, uh, good to have the, uh, that kind of update as well. So that's great. All right. That, that's one thing I wish that a meetup would change is that they don't show, uh, the correct time based on your time zone. So you have to do the translations yourself. Uh, and there's been a couple meetups that I've wanted to attend, but I've forgotten and me- meetup should get on that. Cause I don't, I don't know why they wouldn't just show you your local time. Right. Well, of course, when they, the whole idea with meetup was facilitating real world meetups. So of course they just assumed you're going to be local. Yeah. Yeah. And even if you're not local, you need to know the time so that when you fly there, you will be, you know, so yeah, no, I, I understand why they it's a whole new world and people are trying to still make adjustments to it. So. Time zones are hard. <laughs> yep. Oh yeah. <laughs> Time zones are very hard. Before we move off of conferences and, and meetups, I should mention that C++ and C mentioned last time that it's moving online as well, of course. Uh, we now have new dates as well. So 15th to 17th of July. And there's a news post which goes into that and some other details as well. So that's, I'll put that in the show notes as well. Right. Um, also, I didn't see the details. I didn't, I didn't have time to read the details. The email just came through. Herb is announcing that ISO meetings are, there's already some that had been, they, they never say they're canceled. They say they're postponed or moved forward till next year or whatever. But um, yeah, I think we've dropped a few, a couple more live um, ISO meetings. Uh, and so uh, you look on Herb's blog or look on iso.cpp.org to have uh, the latest on um, isocpp.org always has the latest on what the schedule is for um, for ISO meetings. So. All right. Ah, so let's start talking about, you know, speaking of conference talks, um, do you have uh, New York meeting is postponed? Uh, Renee just mentioned this on the, on the Slack. Um, Connor, do you have a, uh, any uh, talks that you're working on now you've done, I think you did like a first version and then a second version kind of of the same talk just with the algorithms theme. Is that how it worked? Yeah. So there of the five 
conferences that I mentioned. The first two were uh, the first talk that I gave, which was entitled Algorithm Intuition. Um, I recommend the C++ Now version of that. Uh, I think because it was the very first time I was giving it, I was more excited. Um, I think the audience was probably excited too from the uh, from the voting that followed. Um, yeah, that was very surprising. Um, and then, uh, the second, uh, sequel or follow-up to that talk was better algorithm intuition. It was originally, I was going to call it algorithm intuition two, Um, but I got feedback that that was just too confusing and too similar to the name of the first talk. Uh, but I still sort of had the same problem. Um, a lot of people thought that the sequel to my talk was, uh, me just giving the same talk again. So there was those two talks. Um, the first one focused more on the numeric header, and then the second one focused more on the algorithms header. Um, those are those are the ones that I've given in the past, and then I'm working on. Uh, I was working on a talk for the C plus plus now 2020. That was what I'm calling the third talk in my algorithm intuition trilogy. Uh, I'm more excited about that talk than I have been about any talk that I've ever given. Although I've only given I think three or four up to this point. Um, and unfortunately, as I'm sure, you know, better than anybody that that's been, uh, canceled. Uh, but I'm, I'm going to hold on to that talk until next year. Uh, cause I honestly, I don't, I think the audience and sort of the, the format is a little bit of a smaller, uh, a, sm- a smaller venue and, uh, you're interacting more with your audience. That's one of the big differences between C plus plus now and CPPCon as a presenter, um, you are potentially in a much, much bigger room with, uh, order magnitude, more, uh, people in the audience. And I think with more people in the audience, less people are willing to sort of put their hand out, hand up and like have an interactive talk. Um, and this talk is definitely one of those talks where, um, I'd prefer it to be more interactive. So, hang up. Well, it's, it's not just the size of the audience. You know, a lot of it is expectation. Um, yeah, the expectation at C plus plus now is that a talk is going to be something of a dialogue, mm-hmm. and the you know I, I've I've said this a number of times, so so people who've listened to probably bored of hearing me say this, but um, the expectation at CPPCon is that the person at the front of the room is the most knowledgeable person on the topic. <laughs> Whereas at C plus plus now, I have I've given given talks where I was talking about move semantics and Howard Hennett's in the audience. Which, as I pointed out, that's kind of nice because when you get a question, you can always say, "Yeah, Howard, how is that supposed to work now?" <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, but- For sure. Uh, yeah. You see, you hear, you see comments all that because I watched so many C plus plus now talks uh, on YouTube before ever attending, uh, and so many of the comments in like the really interactive uh, talks are like people asking the audience members who you can't hear as well, depending on the room it was recorded in to like, stop asking questions, but they, they don't understand that that's sort of, it's very much encouraged. Right. Uh, And I I think that's sort of being addressed. You, you added the throwable mic. So now we can throw around this mic and capture what the audience and actually make that a part of the recording, which is awesome. Well, so yeah, the capturing on the recording, but I think a lot of people just, it's, it's kind of like, what I was saying about the expectation is that the person at the front of the room is the one who has all the knowledge. And so the audience should just shut up and sit down so that we can hear what the person at the front is saying. And they just don't understand that. No, we got this audience together and we're going to get the most out of the audience. We can. Um, I remember seeing a discussion kind of like what you were saying. Some of the comments, I think this was on Reddit and not actually on the YouTube, but, but there was a couple of people commenting about, yeah, those sequels now videos are so hard to watch. And I thought they were making a comment. This was before we had bash films doing them professionally. So I thought they were going to make comments about sound quality and video quality. And, you know, because it, it wasn't, it wasn't up to what we would expect of a professional. And um, so when I asked them about that, they said, no, 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 it's, it's just constantly being interrupted with questions. And I said, well, which sessions are you talking about? Well, it turns out they were talking about two sessions that I happen to have seen. And, I think people, sometimes when I talk to people, they kind of assume I've been to all the sessions. It's like, well, that can't happen. In fact, of all the people at the conference, I'm probably the one most likely to miss sessions, right? So I don't go to as many as I'd like. But I happen to have seen both of the sessions they were talking about. 
And one of them was a Marshall Clow session. And I had gone to that one. And the reason you go to a Marshall session is not just because he's going to give a great talk. In this case, it was a talk I'd actually seen him give before. And I went anyway. And the reason is Marshall gets the best audience. (laughs) The audience is going to be there. And that's what you want. You want that give and take with the audience. And the other talk was a talk of Chandler's. And it was interesting because I've I'm delighted always to have Chandler talk at any conference that I'm working on. And and I've had it several. But this was the one where he said to me at least three times, he says, I'm really nervous about this talk. It's like, why is Chandler so nervous? Chandler has a great delivery. He's very knowledgeable. He knows how to control the room. Why was he so nervous? But he told me, he said, this, by the way, was a few years ago. And what he had an idea was that ranges should have a certain feature. And he wanted to make certain that whatever came out of ranges supported to be able to do what he was wanting to demonstrate. And so he was proposing a ranges implementation that he knew himself was not the right long-term implementation, but it had some neat features that that's what he was trying to show off. And that's why he was so nervous, because he knew that if people really start nailing on this implementation, it's not the right implementation. He knew that. That wasn't his point. His point was, look at these nice features. Let's see if we can get these features in the right implementation. So that's why he was nervous. But again, the reason there was so much give and take in the audience is because that's what he was asking for. That's what that... That was about. It's like, let's figure out how how important these features are, how useful these features would be, and get that involved. So, you know, I, and it, so it's entirely a perception. You know, these is, these people watching the video were frustrated, and part of it is, yeah, there's a there's a sound quality issue with the questions. There's no question about that. It's harder to capture that, but I think they'd kind of missed the point of what what's different about C++ now from CppCon, and that is, you've got a great audience there. Um, a third of the audience are speakers. Probably fifteen to twenty percent of the audience are attend are uh, standards committee members. Um, it's it's just this incredibly rich audience, and you you want those comments. Yeah, one one thing I'm I'm sure a lot of people don't know uh, about my original algorithm intuition talk at C now is the whole last section that focuses on the algorithm intuition table was not a part of my original talk. Um, that was all created while I was at C++ uh, now, and like whole slides uh, were were added due to conversations with people that I had had at the conference. Like, I remember explicitly talking with Ben Dean um, about how I had this example of generating Fibonacci numbers with the transform algorithm. And he's like, oh, you know, you can do the same thing with adjacent difference. And I was like, no, of course not. Like, you can't, <laughs> you can't do that. that. That's not what adjacent difference is for. And he's like, no, no, you can do it. Like, adjacent difference is very similar to transform, except it's instead of taking two arbitrary ranges, it's taking... Uh, sort of the zip tail functional programming pattern. So like the first uh, to second last element as your first range, and then your second to last element of the same range. So you have adjacent pairs. And then the difference is like hard coded into the name, which is one of the points I make in my talk is like, it's a terrible name. Like the the minus stood minus is the default operation. Um, But like that should not be encoded into the name of the algorithm. Really, it should be something like adjacent transform. Yeah. And and when he pointed that out, I thought about it for a second. And then I just had this eureka moment of like, holy smokes, like I would never in a million years have realized the relationship between adjacent difference and transform. First of all, they're in two completely different headers. Um, one's in numeric, one's in algorithm. Uh, and and I had only just started learning about functional programming in the previous year. And I knew about the zip tail trick. Um, anyway, so so like the whole point is that like the talk got better just from being at the conference and talking to the people that were attending the conference. Um, and, and yeah, people always talk about the hallway track, uh, and, and it's, it's impossible to hear someone say, Oh, it's just, it's great being able to talk to people in between sessions until you actually go. Like I, I'd heard, uh, people say it on both CPP cast and CPP chat. 
And you don't, it's like someone telling you about the Grand Canyon. You can't appreciate it <laughs> until you actually see it. And you're like, oh, I understand now what people were talking about. Like when someone tells you, you're just like, ah, it's just a hole in the ground. Like how, how great could it be? <laughs> uh, and then you go and you see it and you're like, oh, this is, this is not describable with words. I understand why people were trying to tell me it's important to go see. Um, right. And, and you can't, I don't know how to say, it. I mean, you can't. You can't be specific either. You can't say, oh, go and you'll get this one great insight on this one particular problem. It's not like that. Instead, it's like you were talking about you, this connection that you had never even thought about that you were missing, right? It, yeah. You didn't know that was not there until Ben pointed out. And it's like, oh, wow. Yeah. And, and that's, yeah, those are the kinds of discussions that happen. In your case, it helped a talk you were giving, but it could just as easily have been an important breakthrough in an application you were designing or some kind of library you're working on or something like that, where, oh, wow, that's, that's the thing. And you're exactly right. That's what we're trying to, um, uh, trying to make happen, trying to facilitate. So how did the talk go? Did you get the discussion you wanted? I guess you, you must have, because you said you'd like to do next, do your next one at uh, C++ now as well. Yeah, no, I, um, I think you're always your, your worst critic. Uh, so afterwards I knew that there was like three or four places in the talk that like I hadn't executed the way that I had planned it in my head. So like I was focusing on those things. Um, and I, I think that's true for like a lot of people who give talks, uh, you know, right afterwards, all you're thinking about is like, oh, you know, I, I fumbled my words at that one point or, um. You know, when I when I answered that question, I, I didn't answer it as eloquently as I would have liked to or 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 as coherently as I would have liked to. Um, so I think right after the talk, I was I was sort of relieved and you you're you're done and you're working up to it, you know, the whole week and the week leading up to it. Um, so I was just I was happy to be done. And I was I was thinking that, oh, there was these things I could have done better. But um, there was a ton of people that afterwards they came up and approached me and were like super excited about what I had talked about. Um, and wanted to share their sort of like experiences that they had had. I remember there was one individual that came up and was telling me that, um, you know, the, the scan algorithm, uh, they use in their interviews all the time. And there's this whole world of like prefix sums is what, um, they're referred to sometimes. And he was explaining to me this, uh, one application that was really, really cool anyway. So, uh, having that kind of feedback is, is just fantastic. And I've had that mostly for, for each of the talks, like everyone's, everyone's, when you're excited about something and there's someone else in the room that's excited about the same thing and they find out that you're excited and they just want to talk to you about it. Like, that's just, it's so awesome. Like I could, I could talk about algorithms. Um, I think, I, I can't remember if it was in a tweet I saw once, uh, but that like, you know, bending, it might've been his partner that tweeted it, uh, was talking about just staring off into space and, uh, and was just like dreaming about algorithms or something. And, and, and his partner asked, what are you, what are you doing? And he's, oh, I'm thinking about uh, stable sort or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> or stable partition, uh, or something like that. And, um, I feel the same way as there's a lot of times I'll be thinking about, uh, one specific algorithm and, you know, how come, how come it's not designed slightly differently so I could do this with that, um. And so, yeah. Or, or why isn't it named slightly differently? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and so, yeah, the, the feedback was awesome. And, and then, yeah, I, I was a bit surprised uh, towards the end of the conference when, when I, uh, yeah, my name got mentioned a few times. And, <laughs> and at that point, I think I realized that it went better than, uh, than I had thought. Um, yeah. Well, this is, this is universal. I have spoken with an awful lot of people who have just given a talk and I, and I know they all are thinking the same things, which is, first of all, they think it could have gone better. They're, as you said, they're their worst critics. They think of the, you know, instead of all the points that went well, they think of the two issues that they didn't word the way they, they wish they had. And the second thing is they're glad it's over. <laughs> it's like, oh, it's done. Now I can concentrate on the conference or for some of them, now I can concentrate on my next talk. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Um, there are certain people who I've learned, oh, you really want to schedule them on Monday. Otherwise you won't see them in the conference. <laughs> oh, yes. 
I've, I've met a couple of those people. <laughs> oh, I, I forgot you were here. Where have you been? Oh, I've been in my room doing doing the notes on my talk. So I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they keep scheduling me on Saturday at the ACCU conference. So, yes, yeah. And <laughs> the person I had in mind is in the chat room and he recognized himself. <laughs> we, we won't mention Michael Casey's name on air, though. <laughs> yeah, we wouldn't mention Michael's name because it might embarrass him. But, uh... <laughs> Oh yeah. All right. So, um, so you've now, you said five different conferences you've spoken at now. Uh, well I said five and then immediately, uh, someone in the chat, uh, Michael, uh, case pointed out that, uh, technically I also spoke quote unquote, cause it was an online conference where you just recorded it locally and uploaded it. Uh, I had a, a, a talk at PyCon 2020, um, which is really, I was, well, I'm sad that all conferences are delayed, but obviously it's it's the right decision and it has to be done. Um, but I was really looking forward to interacting with the Python community because um, I am, I anyone that's uh, seen my talks knows that I, I think in my very first talk, I said on my about me slide, I said, I'm, I'm interested in programming languages. And then two or three talks later, I had upgraded that to uh, I'm a programming language enthusiast. And I'm considering uh, upgrading that to uh, something that I heard someone who uh, was a small talk developer, he referred to himself as a small talk addict. Um, and I, I sort of like that. I, and so I might start referring to myself as a programming language addict. Um, and so I'm, I'm always learning several languages. Uh, I've, I've referred to sort of Haskell a lot in my my talk so far. Anyway, so I, I was, I happened to be doing something uh, for work and I ended up refactoring this code that I'd gotten off a blog post. Um, and it wasn't, I don't think, anything uh, revolutionary that I was doing. But I, while I was doing it, I, I ended up taking like 60 lines of code and refactoring it down to 10. And then realizing that like, ah, oh, there's actually just a library that I could use like one call to a specific function that does exactly what these 60 lines of code does. <laughs> Um, and so like, it, it's, I think some of the techniques I showed are, are pretty simple, but like when I was a junior developer, I, I was writing the code that looked like the original 60 lines. Cause I just, I had not seen these techniques at, at some point when you're starting out, yeah. you just don't know the abstractions or the, the algorithms or the functions. And so this was, it was aimed to be a beginner talk that just showed here are a few very simple things that you're going to see all the time. Um, so that's what, so that's what your talk was where you. You, you said, this is what I started with. I rewrote it to this. And then I recognized I could have done this. Yeah. So that, and it was, it was a talk called beautiful Python refactoring. And it was, it was just a 30 minute talk that, yeah, it's the whole point is just here's, you know, eight different tricks that I, or not tricks, but just sort of refactorings. Like one of them is um, whenever you see a, an index I set to zero outside a for loop and then inside the for loop, either at the beginning or the end, you're doing a, an increment um, so every iteration of the for loop, you're basically incrementing your index because in Python, uh, they don't have index based for loops by default. They have like the equivalent of our range based for loops. So you'll have like four, you know, value in list. Um, and you can get an index based for loop if you do for I in like the range of length of your list. But most people uh, don't want to do that. But there is a function in Python called enumerate. Um, which we may or may not get with uh, ranges at some point in the future. But basically, it it bundles your elements in your list or your structure, or your sequence that you're looping over into a tuple or a pair. And the first element is the index that is corresponding to that element. And the second one is your element. So uh, in Python, they have baked into the language destructuring or iterable unpacking, as they call it. It's the same as C++17 uh, structure bindings, where you can basically destructure the elements of a tuple or pair. Um, and so it's just a very nice, instead of having your setting a variable I outside your loop and then incrementing it, you can just in one line in your for loop go for, you know, I comma elements in enumerate of whatever sequence you're looping through. Um, and twice in the code that I was refactoring, this came up. Um, and I see it all the time. You even see it in um, sometimes in C++ code. Um, and there, there are, we don't have enumerate per se, but there are ways also to get around that, uh, or at least baked into the standard library. I'm sure Boost has it somewhere. Yeah, I, I need that all the time in, in C++ as well. And occasionally I write my own 
but it's it's non-trivial to get that right. It'd be nice to have it in the standard. Yeah. Yeah. Other languages call it uh, zip index or zip width index. I personally like zip width index the best. That's, I believe, what Scala calls it. Um, but I think most people know it by enumerate. So my guess is that's what will end up getting named in uh, in C++ if we get it. I'll be happy with just zip. Yeah. <laughs> then you can put an iota in there. Yeah, yeah. Well, if we got zip, you could just, you could very easily write it yourself, right? Uh, so do you have a, uh, this talk is up. Yeah, it I, looks like in the in the chat we have we have at least one fan who's seen it. <laughs> we won't mention Michael Casey's name again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I can post. <laughs> I can post a link uh, afterwards in the in the Slack to it. Um, yeah, it's it's a it's in Python, but I do think it's in general sort of a, a language agnostic. Um, although there are th- some things specific to Python, like list comprehensions you don't have in every language, um, which is really nice, a really nice feature in, in Python that it should be utilized more in my opinion. Um, yeah. So I, I actually use Python quite a bit and it's, it really is weird because, um, my relationship to Python is so different than my relationship to C++. I, I actually like them both and I enjoy them both, but in C++, I kind of feel like I understand everything I'm looking at. Whereas in Python, it's like, I think I know what this is doing. <laughs> and um, there's a lot of stack overflow. <laughs> uh, whereas in C++, I, you know, occasionally we'll look on stack overflow. Most of the time, um, most of the time I see plus on stack overflows, I'm looking for good questions to answer instead of uh, looking for good answers for my question. Uh, but not so in Python. I, uh, I don't usually tell people how to do things in Python. I'm usually on the other end of that. Uh, but I but I enjoy Python a lot. Um, and so, yeah, Python is Python's a fantastic language for for getting things done. Um, I, not that I, I don't want to say C plus plus is not a fantastic language for getting things done, but <laughs> there's been so many times where I've been trying to write like a bash script, uh, where I'm you know, biting off more than I can chew, and then I'm just like, yeah, let's just see if we can do this in Python. And like, le- I've been spending like thirty to sixty minutes on the bash script, and then in less than five minutes, I'm done it. In Python, um, Python just for productivity. Uh, I'm not sure that there's a better language out there. I was going to ask you actually, what is your favorite language that you've encountered so far? Ooh, so if you had asked me a year or two ago, I would have said C plus <laughs> plus. Um, uh, and so, and so, I should I should qualify this. I'll give you my probably my top five. Uh, I should qualify this by saying like none of these languages. Have I really written production code in? I've written production code in Java, Python, and C++. Um, but like all of my favorite languages are languages that I don't write production code in. Um, so there may be a reason for that. Yeah, probably if I had to write production code in them, it would change my view on them. Uh, so that's my qualifier. Uh, but right now, probably number one is APL. Uh, number two is probably Haskell. Number three is Racket. Uh, number four is Closure, and then number five I might say is C plus plus. Um, and well, you know what you know what Bjarne yeah. says. He says there's two kinds of languages. There's the ones that people people don't complain about, and the ones that people use to get world work done. So, yeah, um, that's a paraphrase. Something like that. <laughs> I'm sure if I were given the task of implementing a non-trivial application in uh, all five of those languages, I would be done the fastest in C++, and probably it would be, uh, not probably, almost definitely, it would be more performant than any of the other languages. Um, well, And up to a certain point, I probably would be enjoying myself more in C++ just because I'd know what I was doing for sure. Uh, whereas the other one, like you said. Well, and and, and part of that is due to the nature of the language and the design and all that kind of stuff that what the goals of the language were. But part of it also is there's a huge amount of tooling and support and things like that. So when you talk about, Oh, this is a real world application, meaning, you know, I don't get to pick what the hardware is going to be. It has to be able to run in this. And I, you know, all these kinds of constraints and suddenly you realize, Oh, there's only one compiler to choose from or, or some of these other constraints. It's, it's not as uh, not as easy to get real work done 
real real professional productivity done when you don't have all the tools you don't have um as as great a, a great a community of libraries or i should say a, a selection of libraries ecosystem of libraries and things mm. like that. but those make a lot of difference yeah i just i just watched a talk last night called the sociology of programming languages which was a talk from uh, strange loop 2014 i believe that was um someone recommended it to me in a, a meet a closure meetup that i was in last night um and in that talk it they did a survey on like what makes people choose a language for whether that's a personal project or uh you know something at work if you have to choose a language you know what's the language that you choose to get that done and the number one thing was uh libraries sure um like what libraries do you have access to sure and then like number two, three, and four all had to do with um, like the team's experience or like the current code base or the current ecosystem that you're working with. Um, like it, like it, I think the, the, the speaker was trying to make a point about like, you know, people care about performance, they care about safety. And they, I think there was a third thing, but like none of those three things that he would have expected to be at the top of the list on like, why do you choose a language um, were there like for, for real world stuff, people uh, are are basing their decision on not sort of like the you know high level properties of the language it's it's you know what what do i have access to and like what do the people around me know how to know how to code with um which i thought was was interesting well it's kind of a domain thing right i mean in other words you're going to do something that's going to be on the web you're going to pick a you know a language that has Tons and tons of libraries focused on, you know, it's what, what are people already using for that? Because that's where the libraries are going to be. Mm-hmm. And um, so it's a little bit self-reinforcing because then you're also going to have, that's what people that you can hire or they're already working at your company. That's what they're going to know and those kinds of things. But yeah, no, I, I completely understand that. And, I, and that's one of the things about Python that's pretty cool is there's a great ecosystem of, of modules that you can download and use. Yeah, there's one of the, wow, it makes me so, so jealous of other languages. Um, It was both in Racket and in Rust. So last week, uh, Jason Turner and his cousin, Jonathan Turner, did a three-hour live stream of uh, Rust programmer teaches uh, (laughs) C++ programmer Rust, um, which was, oh, it was so fantastic. I wish there was people from every community doing this. They basically, like, Jason... uh, uh, who is, I assume almost everyone listening to this knows, but for those that you don't, he's the co-host of the rival <laughs> it's a rival podcast, uh, CPP cast. Uh, the other C++, yeah. <laughs> I like to say rival to cause drama. Um, <laughs> but uh, so he, he had basically opened up like a whole new, I'm not sure if it was like a virtual box instance, but just like a, a fresh Linux. I think he was using Manjaro and like, he just started from scratch. So like you could do the same thing on your local box and just follow along. Um, and when they went to start like a new package, they just did like, I can't remember what the command was, but it was like a single command line. And then it initialized like all the, uh, the different files that you needed. It initialized like get init for you. And it ha- already had like a hello world example in like the main uh, Rust file. And if you do the same thing with Racket, they have almost the exact same command where you just go Racco, uh, like R-A-C-O, package new, name your package, and then you're off to the races. Like they already initialized your your documentation files. And I'm so I don't work a lot with Conan or VC package. Like I'm not sure if they have like a Conan new package where they generate all that stuff from scratch. But just like as someone who knows nothing about Rust and Racket and I want to go create a library. I was able to like get up and running in like no time at all. And like C++, uh, at least as far as I know, does not have that story. And uh, I am waiting and praying for the day that that we have something similar. It does seem like over the years that we are starting to get some convergence on package managers. And I know the ISO committee is working on a, a technical report um, that's going to give guidance. And so hopefully in five years or so, we're going to have a really good story for that where someone who's new to C++ can just go, you know, Conan or VC package or whatever it is, new, name your package, and then with a couple command lines, just be off to the races. 
Yeah. Part of the problem is there's just a bewildering set of choices about, you know, because unlike other languages, we don't, we don't even say, you know, what extensions your files have to have. I mean, we have a bunch of, you know, conventions, but they're not that strictly held, right? You can have a CPP file or you could actually, you know, on some platforms, you could actually say C++. If your file system deals with that, it's fine. And that's what you name your files or no extension at all. I mean, all these things um, can work. We we put almost no constraints on you. Where's your documentation live? What does your documentation look like, right? Whereas other languages kind of have this whole culture of this is this is what your project's going to look like. This is where your folders are going to be. This is what your file names are going to be, all that kind of stuff. Um, and so that's, in a sense, nobody wants to be the person who who is going to restrict and say, well, you can't do it that way. You have to do it this way. But if you don't do that, um, it's kind of like, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I think there's like, I completely agree, but like, there's, there's something to be said about like how popular Godbolt has become. And like a lot of people use it for like looking at assembly and what is this actually compiled down to? And I know a ton of people, including myself, where like, if I really quickly, just want to code some example to see why isn't this compiling? Like you can use Godbolt as like a, a REPL environment almost like in languages where you're just sort of building up um, by composing small statements together one by one to get ultimately what you want. You can sort of do the same thing with Godbolt because every single time you stop typing, it starts compiling. And, and like, I think there's, there's more to Godbolt than just looking at assembly and it's because it's so easy to just get started. And then if you want to share something with someone, you just, you do a share link and poof, someone's looking at the code you're looking at. Like, I think there's going to be uh, a space for people that care less about those sort of fringe options at the beginning that just want to be able to create like a, a new library and have it uploaded somewhere. Um, maybe I'm wrong, but I guess time will tell. And no, that, that's fine for libraries. But what I would like to see is something where um, I don't know what to say. Some kind of out of the box where you say, "Oh yeah, I want to set up a new project," and and it just checks. Uh, okay, I want this version of Boost, and I want this, and oh, I need continuous integration with this, and uh, I'm going to use Catch or I'm going to use Google Test or whatever, and you just boom, 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 and then it's there and done. Part of that is. My, but I'm being spoiled because in my career, I was always on a team big enough that there was somebody whose job it was to do build stuff. And that was never me. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what's lovely. It's kind of like, well, how do we do this? Oh, you just do this in the build option. Okay, that's all I want to know. Thanks. <laughs> somebody else already did that for me. Um, and I don't want to do that stuff myself. And I'm no good at that stuff, you know. But, um, but that's what, uh, yeah. And that's what. Vector uh, Dual Bool is is uh, talking about project lay, lay, layouts. Very good. I saw a tweet from someone recently that that said said something, and then the follow up was uh, trying really hard not to become the build guy. <laughs> <laughs> I have ended up being the build guy in the past. Uh, it's not fun. Yeah, it's uh, underappreciated work, I think. And it's uh, a lot of times if you're not the build guy as your day job, you can end up banging your head against the wall because you don't know what's wrong. Yeah, yeah. Um, any Anything that that is computer operations is essentially this, you know, people take it for granted when you make it work. And when, when it's not working, you know, then staring daggers of evil at you. Um, when I was, uh, I was at a, big company doing support very early in my career before as a full-time programmer, I was doing support. And um, so I was writing kind of small apps and I did have one individual who was the perfect client. Cause I would say, well, how's everything going? Oh, it's great. This is wonderful. It's just, it's saving me so much time. This is so wonderful. And so I'd say, well, I was wondering, uh, would it be helpful if we did this? You could do that. <laughs> he was the perfect client. He was so appreciative. Every little thing was wonderful. Uh, never had a complaint, even when it wasn't working. It was like, well, it's really great, except this one little thing. And I was wondering, oh, my gosh, what happened? <laughs> Let's fix that. You know? it's like, yeah, he was great. But no, that's not the way it normally is. It's like, Wait a minute. My build is taking two and a half seconds longer than it used to take. What have you screwed up? 
Yep. So we know that C++ is lacking in uh, build systems and, and package managers, but in terms of the language itself, what what do you miss the most from other languages that you've used? Um, well, my number one uh, language feature or facility that I've fallen in love with, um, or I'm not sure if I can choose one, but one of the top ones is more... Uh, a terse lambda syntax. So Haskell has lambdas. Almost every language these days, even if it's not functional, has lambdas, or they might call them blocks or anonymous functions. Um, There's several different names for these, or function literals, as Go calls them. Uh, But they're all the same thing, basically. Um, Haskell, on top of lambdas, has something called sections, where basically you can specify uh, parentheses, and then inside that parentheses, you can put an operator. So in three characters, you can basically go left paren plus right paren. And that is the equivalent of our binary stood colon colon plus. And you can change that into a unary operation that is just add one by adding a one either to the left hand or to the right hand of that plus operator. So in four characters, you can define basically the equivalent of a lambda that adds one and is a unary operation. And in three characters, you can uh, basically have a binary operator. And you can do that with multiplies, divides. Uh, you can do it with other functions as well. So it's this incredibly concise uh, syntax. And some people will say that's just sugar. Um, my In my head, my response to that is always, well, I really like sugar. Uh, and and also, too, like I think it's it's it doesn't fully... like. Calling something sugar uh, is very dismissive. Like a lot of times, like a lot of features are just sugar, like lambdas uh, structure. Yeah. Yeah. Like all of lambdas are just sugar. That's an amazingly powerful feature. And it's just sugar. You could do that yourself. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So many things are just sugar. Um, Structure bindings, technically just sugar. Uh, And, and, and. I think so much of this quote unquote features that are sugar leads to just like so much more readable and beautiful code. Um, And, and so in, in C++, like I, I made a video and never uploaded it once called 10, 10 lambdas in 10 languages. And uh, I didn't end up posting it because I realized I wasn't uh, knowledgeable enough in the other languages to know, like if I was actually doing this the idiomatic way. Uh, So I still have that one, uh, and I'll re-record it at some point. But like going through that process made me so incredibly sad because C++ is by far like the most verbose um, of all the languages. Um, And that's because of legacy. Uh, But if there was some way to make that happen in C++, it would make me very happy. Well, there's something else. One of the things that Bjarne has pointed out is that when, when something new is introduced in the language, people... And he's pointed this out about the committee. Um, But people get really conservative. This is this new thing. We need to have a lot of syntax to warn people, oh, you're doing a new thing. Kind of like, oh, templates have to be really heavyweight because templates are a new thing. And and that's scary. And then as people get used to it, it's like, there's a whole lot of syntax here. Why do we need this much syntax? Why can't we just write this? And he says, this is being repeated over and over again with, with... Every every time we introduce a new feature like concepts or something like that, at first it's scary, and then eventually it's like, well, why can't we just say it? Why can't we just write this and have that work? Right? Um, mm-hmm. Having um, you know auto parameters, which is a shortcut of being templates, and uh, you know those are the kinds of things that I remember before C plus plus eleven shipped. That was one of the things Bjarne said he wanted to be able to be able to just say. Here's my function, and the parameters A and B are auto, and have that be synonymous or a, another way of expressing a template. He says, I don't think the, the committee will let me have that. Um, but but now we're there. Um, yeah. And and I think that that there's probably some insight to that. You know, at first these things do look scary, and you know, there's a million people who are using this programming language on a regular basis, you don't want to slip something at them that they don't see coming. But on the other hand, um, we do live forever with the conservative nature of 
of what you know, the way we introduce it. Sometimes we, you know, the the whole basically the difference between lambdas in C plus plus eleven and lambdas in in fourteen are okay. We were too conservative at specifying that. Here's a little bit more. You know, here's a relaxed specification where you can do this and you can do this and. Um, um, and certainly we're going down the same thing with uh, uh, const expert. Uh, const expert functions now can do so much more than they used to be able to do. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and part of that is a good kind of conservatism, but, but to the extent that, that the syntax could be relaxed, that's what, that's what Bjarni was arguing for. Yeah. And it's also what, kind of what you're saying, which is, look, I mean, I think if you introduce something like, you know, parent plus parent, even I'd be freaked out. But yeah, there's no way that's going to make it into uh, C++. But in just in terms of what I'm jealous of of another language is uh, that that so that's one. The second one that is something we're sort of getting um, is a DSL basically for uh, composable algorithms. So I, I should qualify too because I've said this in multiple talks now that like the current algorithms in in the algorithm and numeric header are not composable. And then very sadly, Sean Parent, my hero, <laughs> in, a, in a CPP uh, chat episode, uh, nonetheless, um, which was, CPPCon, I believe it was yeah. one of the ones recorded at the CPPCon 2019, made the comment that there's all these people uh, saying that algorithms aren't composable, and that's hogwash. Um, and so I, I, should, I should clarify and qualify that when I say composable... Um, I don't actually mean lazy. Uh, what I really mean is pipeable. Like I want one algorithm where I can, uh, compose it with another algorithm where the output of the previous algorithm is the input of the next algorithm that I am piping it with. And the, the problem is that every language sort of calls this something different, um, in Lisp dialects, uh, in both, um, rackets and uh, closure more recently. Um, in closure, they call them thrush operators. Um, and more generically, it's referred to as uh, the threading macro. Um, and it's it enables just the most beautiful, um, you know, calling one algorithm, and then the output is the next, uh, the input to the next algorithm. And using threading macros, you can actually, like a lot, one of the big complaints about Lisp dialects is you end up with all this nested expressions with parentheses, and it's incredibly hard to parse uh, using the threading macro, you can get something very similar to what's coming with C plus plus twenty ranges and what you might see in a, a sort of other functional language like Haskell. Um, and that's the thing is a lot of languages have something called a pipeline operator or a pipe operator, and so those languages refer to it as sort of piping. But then there's other languages like Haskell that don't technically have a quote unquote you know pipe or pipeline operator. They just have a composition operator. Um, and so depending on the language or the ecosystem you're operating in, these are referred to different things. Um, I haven't made up my mind of like what we should refer to this is because I think calling like I think to a certain extent, uh, Sean Parent is exactly correct in what he was saying that these algorithms were designed to work together and they all basically build up to I, I believe it's stable sort. Right. Um, and that and that, you know, rotate fits in here and, you know, this algorithm fits in here and you take one out um, and the whole thing falls apart because they all compose together. Uh, so in that regard, I completely agree. The the current algorithms in C++ are composable, but they are not pipeable. They're not functionally composable. Exactly. And um, that is my like it's my favorite pattern uh, to code in this. This was effectively the. I, I referenced earlier about Chandler giving a talk on on ranges, and that was really the feature that he was trying to argue, is that somehow we need to have this uh, pipeability feature. Um, but I do remember, because I uh, got to sit in on, on a series of classes that uh, Alex Stepanoff uh, gave, and I remember when I realized, oh, my God. All of these, all these algorithms just build up the stable sort. I didn't realize these, you know, it just seemed like this kind of set of algorithms. But when you realize, oh, no, wait, that's because this is actually calling that this is, oh, yeah, they just, they just assemble into stable sort. Um, and in that sense, they're certainly composable. But in the sense that you're talking about, um, you know, I, I, um, 
I spent some time doing something that I know you spent serious time with, which is uh, uh, doing um, uh, essentially, um, I don't know what you, I don't know what you call it, uh, competitive programming kind of stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah. Competitive programming. Yeah. But I didn't do it competitively. I just went to one of those websites and was like, OK, work this problem, work this problem. And these problems were all pretty simple because the, the idea was to see how quickly you could do them. But I set a different uh, a different goal for myself, which is I'm going to write this um, without any for loops. I'm only going to use either standard algorithms or I'll write a new algorithm myself that has a for loop in it. But, I'm, but everything, you know. And so rather than making it quick, I actually spent a lot of time on each project. But, uh, but the, because the goal wasn't to do it as quickly as possible. The, do, the goal was to do it as cleanly as possible. And one of the things, of course, I wanted mm-hmm. to do was not copy anything. But so many times it's like, okay, I guess I'm going to have to dump that into a vector so that I can apply the next thing to it. And what I really wanted to do was to be able to read this out of the file and make these transformations, a whole bunch of different transformations without ever, you know, without ever having to say, okay, I guess I have to dump it into a vector here so that I can turn around and modify it in the vector. That's what I wanted to do and um, was wishing I had ranges to do that. So There's a, uh, I, I, I can't recommend like what you've just described. Um, I did it both competitively and sort of just on my own. Um, but, but there is like, I don't want to call it like a crisis. Um, but if you go to like, so leak code is one of the most popular sites for this these days that a lot of students in university, um, in it's known as both a weekly competitive programming site, but also as like a, uh, interview prep site for for big companies that a lot of people want to work at. Um, and there was a question recently in one of the contests that I believe boiled down to you have a, a vector of ones and zeros. Um, can you return true or false true if you can guarantee that the distance between each of the ones uh, has at least K zeros? So if you have, uh, for instance, like one zero 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 one zero zero one, so there's three ones, and the first and second are separated by three zeros, and the second one is separated by two zeros. If k is equal to two, you would return true because you know that at least the ones are separated by at least two zeros. But if k is equal to three or anything greater than that, you have to return false. So you can solve this using one of my favorite algorithms, uh, which we don't have in C++ yet. Um, it's known by many different things in D language. I believe they got the name right called chunk by, um, it's called group by, or there's an algorithm similar to it in the range V3 library, but basically you look at adjacent elements and you pass it a predicate and then it's, it's an anamorphic algorithm. So it's the opposite of a catamorphic algorithm, catamorphic being it's a reduction. So, uh, it's typically, these are called like reduces or folds. Yeah. And an anamorphic is called something uh, that's an unfold. So it's like a split where you're taking a list and splitting it into multiple lists. Um, so if you basically you split up your uh, list into sublists when you have adjacent equal elements, you'll end up with a list of lists of just the ones and the zeros. And then you can do a simple map to length, filter out the ones, and then just check do all the sublists that are just zeros are the, is the length of those all greater than or equal to whatever your k value is so like in four or three algorithms composed together you can very quickly solve this out of 150 solutions that were posted on the form mine is dead last <laughs> it's the very last one and if you look at the top 10 or 20 solutions they're all just these 20 30 40 line solutions that are all hand rolling this sort of comparing adjacent elements and then doing doing all these four different steps that you could easily compose together with different algorithms, like all in one big loop, um, which some people, some people. Pre- so, so wait a minute, how, how is yours ranked dead last by popularity, by performance? Uh, by popularity. So I think it's it's a stable sort by first based on the number of upvotes. Mine has zero. Potentially it has a negative. I'm not sure. <laughs> And then I think the second uh, ranking is by number of views. Um, so if you don't, it's sort of a bit biased. Same thing with like Reddit. If you don't get any upvotes early, it'll get pushed down to the second or third page and then no one's ever going to view it. Um, so so you, it's based on a couple of things. But yeah, uh, last time I checked, it was it was the the, uh, the least popular of all the solutions. And it yeah. 
it makes me very sad that um, there's all these students in university that are learning for loops and if statements, and they're not learning um, how to compose algorithms and they're not learning their algorithms. No one's, no one's listening to Sean. I don't think there's many professors that are talking about uh, Sean parents, you know, know all your algorithms or that it's not just even Sean. Now there's tons of people out there that are talking about how you need to learn your algorithms. Jonathan Bacora is one. Um, yeah, Kate Gregory, uh, Odin Holmes, Michael Case has a talk that uh, uh, mentions that as well, um, and it's yeah, it's a shame. Uh, but like, but but I thought I, I I wondered where you were going with that because you said you didn't recommend it, and for my purpose, it was fine because I don't think I even made my results. I don't even know what side I was on, so I don't know if anybody else looked at it. For me, it was just the challenge of here's some little problem, and see if see how cleanly you can write this, and. Um, I, I wouldn't subject it to other people's comments because if they if they vote you as the bottom, then I don't really care what their comments would be. <laughs> so Le- Leslie in the chat is uh, suggesting that we give a link to uh, Connor's solution and we'll all upvote. So I'll put that in the show notes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. We all... <laughs> all, all log in and it's like, where did this thing come from? <laughs> It's it's less that I I'm not offended personally that my solution is is ranked so low. I'm I'm more like I want uh, there to be more programmers in the world that are are aware. Yeah. No, no, I I completely understand. It, it's the same. It's the same same as I feel. It's not that I. It's not that I'm afraid of what people are thinking. It's that I don't care of their opinion. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, I'm lucky now to work, I work on a team, um, at NVIDIA, uh, and our team is completely pro algorithms. Whenever there's a for loop in the code, we're always in code review asking, you know, can this be an algorithm? Um, and that like, it makes me so happy because whenever I'm, I'm able to replace a for loop with an algorithm, like I get, like, I get like a dopamine hit, like it's, it's fantastic. And I've worked on teams in the past at other companies that are the complete opposite. Like they frown upon using algorithms because the culture there is just that a for loop is better. More people, everyone knows what a for loop is and you can understand what it does, but not everybody knows what a partition does. And that's going to cause overhead in terms of educating the company. Um, and so I think by promoting like this style more and more uh, other teams and other companies are going to start to adopt this. And I don't think every company, like if, if there are people that really do prefer for loops, like that's not necessarily a bad thing. Um, yes, it is. Uh, yes, yes, it is. Okay. Never. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, well, well, part of it is part of it is the mentality of just what you said. It's like, Oh, we don't want people to learn about algorithms or have to spend any time looking things up or read documentation. We want to write a bunch of code that we then have to document and test ourselves, except we're not going to do a good job of either documenting or testing it, but we'll feel proud that it was invented here. Um, you know, I heard about a guy who worked at a company that had their own term for not invented here. Yeah. Yeah. Comments are, comments are always dangerous. Like I, I just did a refactoring, uh, on my day job and they had these three Boolean parameters back to back to back in a, in an API of a function, um, which is something that uh, drives me up the wall. And and our team tries to reduce that and use either scoped enumerators or something that's more readable. And sure enough, in one of the, it, it started out as just a refactoring, uh, but in one of the call sites, someone had put comments next to the three falses of what each one did, um, but had messed up the order. Oh, so uh, like it, it's just a comment, so it doesn't mean anything. But if you're reading that comment thinking, oh, I need to turn this to true, right. uh, you're potentially going to get that wrong. Yep. And then uh, another case I found where um, all of the last five parameters of the function had defaults. Um, and the the one of the calls was only passing uh, the last two, but not they actually missed out the the first three defaulted arguments but due to implicit conversions to bool it still compiled um and when you when i refactored that i was like oh this is actually a, a bug um so yeah comments comments uh are not always they 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 don't they don't stand the test of time i worked i worked with a woman that was her pet peeve too and i was delighted one day when i went to her and because i'd found in our code base there was a function that took four through boolean parameters 
um, and three of them had defaults. And so, yeah, it was impossible to know what you were passing with any confidence. Yeah. Actually, C-Line can help there because now it shows the names of the parameters uh, next to them in the code. Mm. Um, the way it would really help is to refactor them into oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Preaching to the converted. We are actually in danger. Well, we have iterated off the end of the hour. Oh, no. Which is not particularly safe coding. So, All right. so we need to uh, correct that by wishing everyone safe coding. Uh, it's been great having you on, Connor. Oh, we yeah. could only have talked for another couple hours. So, uh. <laughs> <laughs> no, thanks for having me on. This is uh, this has been fun, and I'm I'm looking forward to uh, when COVID ends and uh, conferences and communities yeah. are, are oh, meeting we'll... up again. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right. Well, let's all uh, wish our audience then uh, safe coding. Until next time. So, everyone, safe coding. Safe coding. Safe coding. <laughs>